The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. And a happy Tuesday to you folks. Welcome to the Multimedia Café. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Café, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Now, for those of you joining us for the first time, or maybe you forgot about the Multimedia Cafe meaning, so just bear with us if you've heard this before. But for those of you out there, the Multimedia Cafe, now what is it? Well, the cafe is kind of the old traditional exchange of ideas. Cafe talk, if you will. One of the original places where you actually got your information. People would pass the newspaper around. They'd talk about what they heard about on the radio. Sometimes the radio is uh, playing overhead. So you have this exchange of ideas that was infiltrated and infested with news. Kind of the topic of the day. You're out in public, so you're not talking about too many personal things. You're talking about personal themes, but not necessarily personal things. You're talking more about, hey, how the government is impacting your checkbook, or how work is impacting your family life, or how... Uh, this new innovation is doing this, that type of thing. So it's exchange of ideas, and we only interview experts here, people that know what they're talking about. So if a plumber comes on the show, more than likely he's going to talk about plumbing. Now, if he happens to be a novice barbecuer, well, he'll say that, and he'll talk about the barbecuing, but for the most part, the plumber's going to talk about the plumbing, the electrician's going to talk about the electrical we're not going to have the plumber talking about how to fix cars and how the electrician, how to build homes. Of course, those two probably know how to do that, but that's not why they come on here. Now that I'm done rambling about that, all the interviews here are exclusive, so I thank you very much for choosing the Multimedia Cafe as a place to get your content. So many places out there to get your content. I joke all the time that, you know, we're so disconnected, yet there's so many ways to keep in touch. So a lot of our interviews are done in a variety of ways. We do face-to-face -face interviews, the old traditional face-to-face -face that's almost going out of style now. We do interviews over the telephone, over the handheld computer that works as a communication device. You folks call a cell phone. We do that. We do them over Skype. We do them over Facebook. Interviews are done in a multimedia ways, a lot of different ways, a multiple of mediums, if you will. So thus, the Multimedia Cafe. Now that I have explained that definition by reading you War and Peace as opposed to just a simple definition out of the dictionary, let's take a look at what we've got on today's menu, our topic of ideas for the Multimedia Cafe, Tuesday, February 19th. All right, Teresa Podol, she's the owner of Prairie Road Organic Seeds, explains why the history and heritage have value in seeds. You know, that's an interesting industry, actually, when you really stop and think about it. Uh, there was a time, and I know Monsanto just got purchased by Bayer uh, out of Germany, and then there was a whole bunch of should they or shouldn't they because they're going to... I mean, first of all, Monsanto, where I was going with the story, they own like 99% of the world's seed. Uh, they've got patent. Did you know that you can patent a seed? 
Just like you can patent a new engine for a car, you can patent life. Uh, that was something that was just kind of unheard of. And then back in the 80s, actually it was the oil and gas industry that brought that in was a microbe that ate oil during oil spills. It was actually a living organism. And because they were able to patent that, that opened the door, the interpretation, to patent all kinds of different things from uh, chickens to seeds to uh, plants. All kinds of things uh, are being patented. So uh, disease, I mean, did you know that if uh, you wanted to go do research, say, on liver cancer, somebody actually owns that gene. Somebody owns that DNA, according to the government. And so a company could come and get you in all kinds of trouble if you decided to do a do some research on that particular type of gene that has that cancer in it. So very, very peculiar times, especially when we're talking about ownership of life and ownership of patents and DNA and that sort of thing. Uh, a little side conversation with Teresa Podol with Prairie Road Organic Seed Company about that. Mostly about her company, about how they're focusing on the seeds and uh, uh, they've been certified organic. They've been blessed by the, I want to say is the... Native American tribe, Haidatsa, I believe is the name. And she t explains it more in the interview here coming up. But uh, great interview. Uh, we you know talk about the family history. Again, it gets into a little bit of the seed ownership uh, because that's her business. I mean, imagine trying to you know make it out there as, as you know, I call in my world, I call myself the third world of media. I mean, I'm not you know I'm not CNN, I'm not Fox News. I, I you know I don't have any of those big resources that they do so you know essentially we're the third world of media she would be the third world of, of seeds uh you've got monsanto and then everybody else i mean when one company owns over 90 percent of a marketplace uh, you just have everybody else after that so all right what else do we got on today's program speaking of oil and gas uh nape happened down in houston nape is the big thing Twelve thousand people showed up down in houston texas for this nape Expo. Uh, pre former President George Bush and his wife spoke at a luncheon down there. Uh, it's a big deal. I mean, it's uh, probably the industry's number one trade show. Uh, up in the Bakken, they've got the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference that happens every year, but they switch it between Canada. So it goes either in Bismarck or Canada, back and forth. And this year it's in, it's in Canada. So there's not much going on in the world of uh, oil and gas conferences up in the Bakken. So you're going to see a lot more of the energy expos out of uh, Wyoming and in Colorado happen. You're going to see a lot more of some of the um, ancillary, not the big ones that get all of the media attention and government resources to promote themselves, like the, you know, the Williston Basin. They get all kinds of dollars from the government to uh, promote that sort of thing in oil companies. So NAEP is the big one. Josh Robbins, CEO Beachwood Marketing, gives us an update from NAEP uh, down there. According to Robbins, this year's NAEP was filled with people hustling for business, you know, and we talked about that because I remember during the downturn, there was a little bit of hustling going on too, you know, and right now we're not in the downturn, but we're not booming, the, the booming days either in oil and gas. So we're kind of in that uh, in intermediary between, okay, should we spend money? Should we save money? we got to make some money, so what are we going to do? And that's really what was going down at NAEP, was that people are trying to figure out if they should spend money to make money or save money to make money. Because the one thing about the oil and gas industry is that during the downtimes, 
you hope to God you can break even so that you can make a lot of money during the good times. So, all right, Josh Robbins. Oh, and then also, <clears throat> there's an issue in the oil and gas industry that's boomeranging. It's coming back around and back around and back around. Remember the big push of millennials? Oh, my God, the millennials are going to solve everything. Well, no, they actually created a lot of problems. The millennials didn't. It was the politicians and the entrepreneurial organizations that used your tax dollars in order to tell you that the millennials were going to solve the problems. And they didn't. They just ended up costing people a lot of money. And the one thing that they brought into the oil and gas industry that was very difficult was it brought in the social cause of environmentalism way too black and white. Um, first of all, this program, anyone who thinks they're going to get rid of fossil fuels, we really don't have a conversation with. That's just, that's idiocracy. That's, that's absolute insanity to think that within my lifetime, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. I just don't see that how that's going to be possible. I mean, for crying out loud, electric cars... They wouldn't happen without coal. And I see another coal plant just closed down yesterday. So to think that we're going to get rid of fossil fuels. Now, do we want to have a conversation about maybe reducing plastic bags and plastic bottles in the soda industry to start a conversation about reducing fossil fuels? Okay, absolutely. Clean the ocean up and all kinds of good things will benefit. And, you know, that's the thing that the oil and gas industry does is that they have those conversations. They are progressive on it. Go look at Meridian Energy Group and what they're doing with the Davis Refinery. They are reinventing how refineries are done across the planet so that you actually see white smoke, which is steam, not smoke. So it's actually water steam that comes out of the smoke cooling tower smokestack at the end. They don't even call them smokestacks anymore because there's no more smoke. So... We're running out of time here, so I'm going to get to our guests. Let's get to our guests here. Who do we got coming up next? Teresa Poto and Josh Robbins on today's program. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Make a little room at the top for a regular Joe. Cause, man, if they leave it up to me, brother, I'm going to be exactly who I've always been. The same old guy staying drunk till I die, man, and jamming for all my friends. And you'll hear me say from a mile away that I'm the luckiest man I know. And everybody... Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Teresa Podo, owner of Prairie Road Organic Seeds. Prairie Road Organic Seed, and it's Teresa Podo? Correct. Okay, and talk about the genesis, the inception of this. So we began as contract growers for other garden seed catalog companies. So we, we would get um, contracts from them to grow specific varieties, and so we were mass-producing um, whatever they would want us to produce. And we had actually bred a number of varieties on our farm and ended up marketing our varieties to them. And so they were carrying them in their catalog and 
we started thinking, oh, maybe we should be marketing our own varieties. So we started packing our own seed four years ago. That is a very interesting business to get into. Obviously, you know, you, you grow, you save seed, and that's your product. It's a little more difficult than that, isn't it? Yeah, you have to take it not only through the vegetative cycle, you know, where, which is most people's experience, gardening is through the vegetative cycle, but now we have to take it through the flowering process and, and then actually harvest the seed from all of those varieties. So yes, it does, does take extra effort. Is your industry decreasing or increasing? What I mean by that is um, it's no secret that Monsanto has a, um, a, essentially a monopoly on the patents behind many seeds. I'm looking at the different varieties you have here, and you've got anywhere from, what, 20 to 40 different varieties. Explain the ownership of those, or the because a lot of people don't understand that is kind of the new world we live in, where if you're growing a corn in your backyard and you want to regrow it, you might get a bill from Monsanto the next year. Correct, yes. A lot. It, the industry is moving towards a lot of patented seed, and if it's not patented, a lot of hybrid seed, where you can't save the seed and replant it the next year, either because of ownership issues or because a hybrid won't grow back true to type. So it won't look anything like what you grew the previous year. So you have to keep going back to the company store to buy more seed. And so, yes, all of our seed is open pollinated. So it's all of it could be saved. Um, we don't have a patent on anything. Um, a number of the varieties were bred on our farm, but we have released it into the public domain. So um, part of our strategy or our um, stand is that we feel that seed ought to be owned by the people. Um, all of the seed that we grew obviously has a heritage. Somebody else was maintaining those varieties and um, saving seed from those varieties, and we're the benefactors from their work. So how can you own something that you didn't originally create? Is it pronounced Hidatsa? Correct, yep. So I'm looking at the Hidatsa Red, originally grown along the Missouri River Valley of North Dakota by the Hidatsa Tribe. This bean was introduced by Oscar H. Will and Company in Bismarck as part of his 1915 Pioneer Indian Collection. Semi-vining, this productive bush plant will climb up three feet if given support. Plump, dark red, dry beans. This is a North Dakota, uh, this is a North Dakota crop, and for three bucks, I don't ever have to, I can save my seed? Yes, you can save your seed from that. Um, if you eat it all, of course, it'll be gone. You won't have any seed for the next year. But yes, you can save seed from those beans and propagate them yourselves. So, yes. So how about the story of the Hidatsa Red? Um, I, I noticed a few others. They've got kind of a, it's almost like a history lesson on the back of some of these. Uh, how did you collect that information? How did you go about deciding to be able to do that? Well, in addition to our interest in gardening and, and breeding varieties on our farm, we're also very interested in what varieties did well in North Dakota. You know, as a seed company, looking back into the history of what gardeners grew in North Dakota over the years is a good indicator of what varieties would do well in our growing environment. 
And um, so we went back to the Oscar H. Will Company seed catalogs. So you can find them in historical archives and go through them and read the descriptions that he had in his catalogs about each of these varieties. And so what we did was research some of these varieties and then go back to the USDA germplasm collection and access seed of those varieties and then trialed them in our own gardens. So Hadatsa red and Hadatsa shield beans were actually gifted to us from Native American peoples who had been propagating them and saving seed. So, um, and, and Oscar Will was gifted those beans by the Native Americans when he started his seed company as well. So um, the historical part of all of these varieties is just fascinating and, um, again, a good indicator of what does well here. And one of the trends in the seed industry is a one-size-fits-all um, sort of trend where um, if you buy seed from most seed catalogs, you don't know where that seed was actually grown. And as a contract producer, we were selling seed to seed companies in Colorado, in New Mexico, out on the East Coast, and they were offering them nationwide um, and you don't have that information of where that seed was actually grown. So one of the strategies that we've um, been working on here in North Dakota is to offer seed to North Dakota gardeners, to gardeners in northern climates that was actually grown in, in their zone, in the environment that they would be growing their seed. Um, so we're, Native vegetables. Right. We're trying to provide well-adapted seed and doing the selection work every year to maintain them for trueness to type because they're open pollinated. So if you're not doing the selection work on them, they start to go wild because they're genetically diverse. So you'll start getting traits that are not necessarily desirable. So if you're not weeding those traits out and maintaining the high quality traits that you want, you'll start to lose flavor, you might start to lose vigor, um, you know, the desirable agronomic traits that you want. So all of those need to be maintained by constantly selecting those varieties for the traits you're looking for. So in addition to the agronomic traits, we're also selecting for um, drought tolerance. We don't irrigate any of our seed, so they have to make it on their own. A lot of times we get questions from people, so what's why is organic seed different? And we tell them, well, we don't have any quick fixes. The plants have to be disease tolerant. They have to deal with whatever insects might be present um, and whatever stressors might be present. Um, we get a lot of high winds, so we want plants that have strong stems, um, have strong root systems, so they have good standability, can stand up to the high winds that we're dealing with. So breeding and selecting in the environment that you're in has great value to a gardener. So you're saying Mother Nature just kind of takes care of itself? Yeah, exactly. Um, Mother Nature does a lot of selection work for us. For instance, last year we had three days of extremely high winds, 45 miles an hour gusting on up to 60. And it, our vining crops were in like the four leaf stage, so they were very vulnerable, and Mother Nature weeded out a bunch of them. Any that didn't have any strong stems were blown right away, so just snapped right off. And 
if they didn't completely break, they were damaged enough where they were weakened and so then unable to make it. So, um, yeah, Mother Nature is a great partner. <laughs> I don't know, is it 90, 95% of the seeds are owned by one company? So when I say Monsanto, I'm not trying to demonize them. I'm just stating a fact. Right, and it is a fact. And, and ownership of seed and being able to save seed and pass that on um, as a family tradition, for instance, we get people that tell us, oh, yeah, our family's been saving the seed from this particular green bean for generations, and we just love it. And they have the seed of it. And oftentimes that seed is no longer commercially available. And if nobody in the next generation is a gardener and a seed saver, it gets lost. And so we continue to lose that genetic diversity, that well-adapted bean that people have been saving for generations. That's just an example of the kind of erosion that we're seeing. And so you know, we've got 40 varieties right now. You know, it's it, it's a very small number in the face of, you know, the vast multitude of varieties that are out there. But it's our contribution to gardeners in our region who are interested in varieties that are well adapted and that are selected for flavor. Fla- I mean, why would you garden if it didn't taste good, right? And that was Teresa Podol with Prairie Road Organic Seed. To listen to the full-length interview or other interviews, exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com, the multimedia cafe. It's part of the Crude Life Media Network. We also have a social media presence. If you go to thecrudelife.com, click on the social media tab, check out our entire network and like us, follow us, friend us, do all those different things that people do in the social media world. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation. Coming up next, we talk with Josh Robbins, the CEO of Beachwood Marketing. Josh Robbins with Beachwood Marketing. Thank you for joining the program today. And one of the reasons we're having you on is to talk about NAEP, the big oil and gas conference happening uh, in Houston. I understand about 12,000 people went this year and you were one of the attendees. Is that right? I was. How'd it go? It was good. It was good. Uh, definitely every bit of 12,000 <laughs> were there. So, uh, You know, the, the downturn is not re- really the word they're using this year, but, you know, it's not the gangbusters days of old type thing, but it's not the downturn years either. So um, good to see 12,000 people. How, how um, interactive was it this year? Were people going through the motions or were there people – you know, actively doing business or people trying to get business. Talk to me about a little bit of the vibes and the themes that you saw on either the floor or any of the places you went. Sure. So, so uh, you know, there was a lot of people out there hustling. There was a lot of people, you know, the, the booths for the most part over the last couple of years haven't, haven't taken up the whole convention center. Uh, they've cut it in half you know, in 15, 16, um, there wasn't a whole lot of booths, uh, this year. I mean, it ran the whole, whole length of the floor. Um, so it was considerably longer than years past as far as, um, you know, folks out there 
trying to peddle deals. Um, the mood, um, and this is kind of a universal statement, uh, it's, it's just overwhelmingly optimistic. There's so many people down there and, you know, like you said, it's, it's not a downturn year. It's not, it's not a, it's not a boom year, but everyone's just very optimistic about, about what the future is going to hold. It's one of those tricky years, you know, to where you have to really reinvent yourself or maybe have some uh, pretty good, you know, storage capacity or good clients, stable clients, whatever it is. It's just, it's, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of growth, if that makes sense, in the traditional areas, because a lot of the oil and gas companies, they're still going through a lot of their changes. You know, they're getting a lot of the artificial intelligence put in. Uh, they're they're revamping their workforce, so to speak, you know, whether it be from the engineering side or whether it be from the hydraulic fracturing remote side. Uh, there's just a lot of change going on in the industry. So I found that word hustling interesting that, you know, people are people are hustling out there because that's that was what I kind of thought, too, is that there's so much innovation and so much reinvention of people's business plans going on. Hustling is just a great way to describe it. Is it, did, Am I making any sense or is it, uh, you know, Absolutely. you were there? Okay, so th then I do have at least, a, I am listening to some of my interview people, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the big thing down uh, in eight this year, in my opinion, was there's a whole lot more um, tech that was highlighted. Um, you know, usually it's, it's drilling info um, as the tech company. And then everyone else is peddling deals, um, but there was a significant amount of of folks down there that were um, really focused on developing tech and 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 the changing oil field to get automated. And I mean, there's there's so many processes that we still do in oil and gas that are still paper and pencil um, mm -hmm. that that just need to be automated. And you know, we're for the most part, 10 years behind the curve when it comes to tech. So it's uh, it was good to see. Josh Robbins, Beachwood Marketing. And so do you specialize in oil and gas, or do you guys have clients outside of oil and gas and you just happen to be there? Talk to me about Beachwood Marketing. Yeah, no, we are oil and gas specific, uh, oil and gas space. We, um, we partner with oil and gas companies that are looking to expand their footprint wherever they are uh, on the on the buy side of of A and D. So we've got a team here in Oklahoma City. Um, we make about four thousand calls a month uh, to oil and gas operators from California to Pennsylvania, North Dakota, all the way down the Gulf, uh, cover the whole country, uh, and track down deals um, that aren't on the market. So we get a box from our clients that says, hey, we'd love to buy, you know, this type of asset in this area. And then we go to work. Uh, we, we hustle for sure um, and, uh, and go find it. That's what we do. When you say you, you, you go find it, are you, are you looking for in deals? Is it anything from leases to, you know, uh, hydraulic fracturing equipment? Or what exactly, I guess, is it uh, you guys specialize in or is it the gamut of things? No, no. So we primarily focus on finding operated properties to go buy. Um, okay. we, we go in and try to find actual, actual wells, uh, oil, gas, um, we work operated space, non-op space. We play a little bit in the mineral market. However, it's it's 
um, there's a lot more uh, folks in the mineral market than there are uh, anywhere else. Uh, so we tend to, like I said, partner up with operators that are looking to increase the amount of barrels they have coming out of the ground or acreage to go drill or whatever the whatever the box may be. So who would be your customer? Is it the oil and gas companies or is it the midstream companies or both? So it, it is right now it's uh, the oil and gas companies. Um, a couple of midstream companies have reached out um, because finding deals in this environment uh, as positive and as upbeat as, as Nate was, um, a lot of it's, um, you know, it's, it's not the types of deals that uh, people are looking for. You know, if you want a PDDP producing asset, um, you know, if you want 250 barrels a day, if you want operations at 80% net, that wasn't there. I mean, that those deals aren't on the floor. Um, and so what we're doing is, is calling the guys that, that own those assets and say, hey, you know, I know you're not selling. You should. This is the time to do it. Um, and so that's that's how we're uncovering a lot of the deals and, and uh, helping our clients expand their, their current portfolio. So if you talk to that many people over the course of a day, week, month, whatever the case might be, is there a general universal theme to the industry right now? Or is there um, certain areas that are seeing more growth than others? I know the Permian and the Bakken are... are are the big ones, but you know, there's the Haynesville and the Eagleford, of course, California, Marcellus, Niobrara. There's all kinds of different shale plays. They might not get as much attention in the media. So just, you know, are, are, are you seeing that some of your clients are at least active in these other plays? Are you hearing anything from those other plays? Yeah, absolutely. And, and even in the Permian and the Bakken, um, you know, there's always a caveat. Uh, Permian's a great place to own, except it's expensive. Uh, it's a great place to own, except there's a differential. Uh, there's a lot of pieces that are playing a part in pushing people out to, uh, you know, let's go play in Eagleford, let's go play in the Chalk, let's go play in in uh, in Kansas, in, I mean, in conventional assets, in low LOE, in barrels coming out of the ground. Um, the, the general theme... Uh, industry wide as far as our phone calls are concerned is you know upsides not something that is being paid for um you you know we're going to go out there and do the work so we want to we want to get paid from the upside we don't want to pay the the seller on the upside because we have to go do it but if you as a seller go out there and drill a hole in the ground and make the barrels come out, we will absolutely pay you more for that. Um, and that's kind of the general theme. Okay. And Beachwood Marketing, uh, how far along in the marketing do you guys get? Because one of the questions I was going to ask, I mean, if with all the people hustling out there, um, how do you set yourself apart? Because that's really where people are at right now is they're trying to figure out new ways to set themselves apart by showing these people that, Hey, we've reinvented our company to X, Y, V, Z, or we can solve your problem that you have here. That sort of thing. Um, do you got any advice on that? Or do you guys have any secrets or any tactics that you seem to think that works that either you guys stand out or you've seen other people in the industry that are able to stand out? Cause 
I, I've noticed sure. what you have, you have too. There's a lot of people hustling, and I'm trying to figure out if they're moving ahead or if they're just spinning their wheels. Right. Yeah. And there's a there's a definitive difference between the people that are moving ahead and 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 spinning the wheels. Um, and and really, um, I say it all the time. There are people out there that want to sell something so that they can go to Fiji for the rest of the year and not do anything. And in order to do that, you need to make the most of, of whatever it is that you're selling fall into your lap. Mr. Josh Robbins going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment as we take a quick break. When we come back, we continue the conversation with Josh Robbins, the CEO of Beachwood Marketing. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Josh Robbins, the CEO of Beachwood Marketing. I say it all the time. There are people out there that want to sell something so that they can go to Fiji for the rest of the year and not do anything. And in order to do that, you need to make the most of, of whatever it is that you're selling fall into your lap. So as an industry as a whole, um, we've allowed that to happen in the past. And with automated processes and, and software and the, just the knowledge base of what you can go find right now on your cell phone, it's, just, it's not easy anymore. There's, not, there's no easy money. You have to go out there and actually work, and and you've got to be here in 2015 when it's 26 a barrel. You got to be here in 2017 when it's 70 a barrel. You've got to be here when it's down up. Uh, I mean, you build these relationships and you put on all this work. That's gonna that that'll be the dividend, regardless of what kind of work that you're doing or what industry you're in. If you're constantly out there building relationships and relationship selling, you're going to win. People don't go to Chick-fil-A because the chicken's better. They go to Chick-fil-A because they work on relationships. They say, please, they say, thank you. You feel like you've got a relationship at that restaurant. That's what that they're successful. That that's going to work for everyone. And if you don't, do that especially with 25 year olds that are coming into the workforce if you're not if you're not gonna do that then you're not gonna have that business you know the uh one guy he once said to me uh patrick hughes that's who it was patrick hughes the ceo of uh, prairie companies made a comment about you know you work really hard to break even during the downtime so that you can make a good living during the good times that's and that, exactly right. that is the oil and gas industry. It really That's is. Exactly and you right. know what? They've had decades of doubt. Remember the 90s? The 90s was, yep. a, was a low 
decade of oil prices. I mean, people forget that, that the 1990s was primarily low oil prices and everybody got along just fine and things happened. And um, I did want to ask you about the industry itself, because you you mentioned the 25 year olds and there was a big push for millennials. And like most things, anytime there's a big push, you know, there's 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 unintended consequences that come from it and growing pains and you start to learn a certain number of things. And one of the things that came out of this is a lot of the millennials today have, have seemed to come into the workforce with more of, of a social cause than in the past. And that's really caused a little bit of some hesitation in the oil and gas industry because there's such a industry built on respect of the industry. There's such a, it's such an industry built on respect and understanding of how the business works. And when you've got some people coming in with either some blind faith or some um, social causes behind them, there's a little bit of hesitation there that they might disrupt that um, called a chemistry set of respect and balance and, and, and just the business of making the oil and gas industry work because for an industry that pays more taxes than, than anyone, they probably yep. donate more than anybody too to the local yep. communities. And that is, that, that, that's what I mean, to where all of a sudden now, if we got people coming in that are just gonna overlook that and start being a bull in a China shop, some of the people retiring are a little bit worried about that. And when you've got nearly 50% of the industry retiring in the next five right. years, that's kind of one of those un. Un, untold stories going on in the industry. Are you hearing that with your clients at all, or that there's, you know, this kind of, uh, we got to make sure we're passing the baton off correctly to the next generation. There is. Um, but to be honest with you, the guys that, that I'm working with are, are you know, late twenties and early thirties. Um, you know, whether they're private equity guys or they're, um, oil and gas companies or their, um, I mean, their C-suite execs, um, in all aspects of the business. And there are people out there that put the work in and do the job and know the business. And then there's people that don't and they talk. And I think there's a lot more emphasis put on the people that talk than the people that do. And I, I don't think there's going to be this massive social shift in oil and gas because you need the people that are out there that know you've got to, you've got to have that knowledge transfer take place. And I think there's enough, um, I think there's enough drive with the, with this new generation to either learn that skill or figure out a way to replace the need for that skill. You know, why do we have pens in the pumper trucks? We don't need them. You know, get this app, whatever it is, whatever that, whatever that ingenuity is, this business has always been first and foremost to push ingenuity. It's just, how is that going to look in the next 10 years? It's going to look surprisingly different than it has the last hundred. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, they're not slinging chains anymore. Right. Uh, not at all. You know, a lot That's of those exactly guys. Right. Yeah. That's um, exactly right. Yeah, I've just noticed there's been quite a vetting process going in a lot of different ways. With uh, Like I said, a lot of the industry is retiring right now. And with the advancements of technology, it's like, could you imagine like just the the first five years after automobiles came out? 
Yeah, I mean, Matt, the the whole social conversation of safety must have been unbelievable back then when, I mean, when we went from horses to automobiles, because that's how I feel like right now, the, the, the technology advanced so quickly and so fast in the oil and gas industry. Well, I've got guys like John Gibson, the former chairman of One Oak, and uh, Harold Hamm, and, um, you know, not to name drop, but these are guys that run major companies. When they're telling me they're changing their business plan because of hydraulic fracturing and just technology, that tells you that's a pretty big shift. I mean, from my my perspective in the media, we saw that with the Internet. When the Internet came, that made made us change our entire business model. You had to. Yeah, I mean, and in fact, I would even argue the Internet was the worst investment any media company ever made because nobody's (laughs) made their money back. That's right. So, so was the idea right. to go out of business because a lot of people did that, me included, right. back in my former media life. Yeah, we'll put <laughs> a couple hundred grand in the internet without any plan on how to make the money back. But we all did it. So, yeah. But that's kind of what's going on in oil and gas. They had right. to, they, in order to stay competitive, they had to move ahead with it. And luckily, they were sophisticated enough to figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, um, and I yeah. And I think that's what you're going to see. I think, you know, media companies, for the most part, I think you're absolutely right. But, you know, content's king. You still have to be able to write good content. You still have to have mm-hmm. uh, good shows in order to make in order to make it work. And so I think that's going to be what's happening in oil and gas. There's, there's going to be, you know, yes, is 50% going to retire in the next, you know, five years? Absolutely. Are they going to stop working? Absolutely not. I think you're going to see a hundred times the amount of entrepreneurial business startups that are that are consultancy based. That knowledge is going to have to stay in the business, and they they everyone's going to know it. If you can, and if you can use yourself and your knowledge to go make money, there people are going to do it all day long. And I think this, especially now, 2019, when entrepreneurialism is at an all-time high as far as, you know, you don't have to go to work. You've got a cell phone. You can pretty much, you got a Starbucks. You can go sit down, pull up your laptop, and you can get things done. Um, and I think that's going to that's gonna shake up a lot of things. And that was Josh Robbins, the CEO of Beachwood Marketing. To listen to that interview or to listen to other Full-length interviews, exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Of course, all of our social media links, the entire network, 350,000 followers, can be found at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. I'd like to thank Teresa Poto, the owner of Prairie Road Organic Seeds, Josh Robbins, the CEO of Beachwood Marketing, for joining us on today's program, the Multimedia Cafe, Tuesday, February 19th. That's going to do it for today's program. Thank you very much for checking us out here on the radio today, and we'll be back tomorrow at this radio station at this time. And for those of you who have downloaded the podcast or are listening online, thank you very much. We'll be back again tomorrow from the staff at the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. John F. Kennedy and the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Hey, on my, my, mind to the night.